in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. Bruce Arians is retiring from coaching. He announced that yesterday Todd Bowles will be elevated from defensive coordinator to head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Adam, do you believe the, let's let's call it a rumor, maybe conspiracy theories too strong. Do you believe the idea that Tom Brady did not want Bruce Arians to be his head coach in Tampa Bay? Well, why wouldn't I believe it when I just watched Tom Brady leave a head coach that he was kind of done with at his last franchise, right? Uh, apparently, Tom Brady's the new LeBron. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, The part that jumped out to me was the idea that it was the, the word retiring got used. Bruce Arians retiring from, from coaching, but he's not actually retiring because he's taking on a role in the front office as a senior consultant for football whatever that ends up meaning. But I feel like if you were truly like retiring, if you were like, oh, I'm yeah, stepping aside, like you, you would be gone. Like you're not retiring to just take a different position. You're retiring to retire and be retired. And that's not what he's doing. So that was part of it that jumped out. And then also what you said that we, we've seen Tom Brady sort of not or have some sort of a power struggle with the coach before, and he ended up leaving New England because of it. So it's not that far-fetched to think it happened here in Tampa Bay as well. Here was a fun quote yesterday from Brian Windhorst of ESPN um, about LeBron James. He said, LeBron's career operates in four-year increments. He wears his team out. I call it organizational fatigue. It happened the first time in Cleveland. They ran out of draft picks. They had a bunch of guys in their mid-30s. Shaq, close to the finish line. Antoine Jameson. He goes to Miami. Four years, great run. They run out of draft picks. In his last game, three guys retired after the game. He goes to Cleveland. Four years, great run. They run out of draft picks. They got old guys. Here we are in L.A., fourth year. The oldest team we've seen in NBA history. They're out of draft picks. They're exhausted. LeBron James in this four-year increments. I enjoy the the symmetry there of four-year increments for LeBron James in his last three stops. But I also think if you're a franchise, you are okay with that because he won a title in all three of those situations. Oh, yeah. There's no question about it. And I don't think saying his career operates in four-year increments and he wears his team out is necessarily a bad thing. I know it sounds crazy, but what... What would you rather have, four years and a title or however many years you've gone and nothing? Not the Lakers necessarily, but especially with Cleveland and, uh, and Miami. So think about Cleveland and Miami also when we talk about this idea of the oldest team in NBA history. They're out of draft picks. I think this is where the symmetry runs out. I think this is where it doesn't agree. In Miami, great run during that time, right? He has Dwayne Wade, and then Dwayne Wade ages very quickly with that team right goes to cleveland he's got kyrie irving uh kyrie irving as you might have heard not the easiest to get along with for an organization either uh this is different because you have a prime anthony davis and obviously lebron is the one who pushed the hardest to get ad 
to the Lakers. The problem is prime Anthony Davis has been injured as much as New Orleans Anthony Davis. So it doesn't matter about the rest of the roster. I don't care about all the old guys. I don't care about Russell Westbrook shooting off the side of the backboard. What I care about is the fact that Anthony Davis hasn't been healthy for any stretch of this season. I think that's the difference in L.A. Uh, the other part of this whole four-year window thing is that just jumps out to me as like normal championship contender window. Like, and when you've had LeBron James for the last decade or so, that's what you are. You're a championship contender. Teams don't really have elongated championship windows You because you tend to go all in when you think you have a chance and you run out of draft picks or you sign old guys to help you get over the top and that's just what happens. I think it's just because anywhere LeBron's been for the last 20 years, his team's a title contender, so you go all in when you have him and then he leaves and oh yeah, we're not a title contender anymore, which they probably wouldn't have been if LeBron had stayed anyways. No, I think about the teams that they dealt with along the way, okay? LeBron dragged that first Cleveland team to the finals. He go uh, That led to him going and forming the Heatles in Miami. The, so he goes back to Cleveland. That's obviously the passion play to win one for Ohio, but he only won one because you ran into the Golden State Warriors and then the Durant Golden State Warriors. And now you have him in L.A. with Anthony Davis. Yeah, they won the bubble title. Congrats. You know, uh, you ran into a pretty good situation for your team with a lot of injuries and, you know, uh, for other teams and not for Anthony Davis. So there's no problem with it being a four-year cycle and being done because it's the NBA. That's how it goes. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> Formula One will be coming to Las Vegas in 2023, a race on a Saturday night in November that will run down the strip. It's going to be a 3.8-mile track. Part of it runs right down Las Vegas Boulevard. Um, here's a question for you, Adam. Is it going to be better or worse for the casinos that are right inside the footprint of this track? Like you're going to a be on TV. I imagine you're going to get to charge a lot for your rooms, but they're also like shutting down the strip for, I think it's three straight days for like six to eight hours at a time. I have to imagine they're going to lose out on some like foot traffic. They'd normally get, is it better or worse to be inside the tracks footprint or outside the tracks footprint? Ooh, that is not a way I'd thought about this. Um, I'll go ahead and say inside, uh, inside the track's footprint. They're going to have plenty of time to plan for this, and the traffic that they're going to get coming to Las Vegas for this thing in the first place, it doesn't matter if they're going casino to casino. Get them in one place and keep them there, right? If they can't drive around, that's even better for for <laughs> casinos on the strip, right? Like yeah, It's the foot traffic that they're going to get for this thing. So, you know... Um, I, I think it's very interesting. I think anything that we can do to, uh, you know, to diversify the sports portfolio here with with a sport that very honestly, ha have you felt like this has gotten to be like the hipster popular thing yes. oh, a lot oh, faster than yes. just about anything else? Yeah, oh, 100%. The, just out of nowhere in the last, I don't know, 12 months, every Saturday or Sunday I wake up and there's like 30 people I follow tweeting about F1 and I'm like who the hell are you and when did you start caring about that it's unbelievable it's yes. come out of nowhere it, it, I, it totally has I, I there was a was there a Netflix documentary I think that was really popular that might have I believe so on? yeah like yeah. I like seriously like I I couldn't have told you anything about Formula One racing 15 months ago and now every single weekend I see tweets about it. Somebody got robbed of a championship last year. Like, it's unreal that this came out of nowhere. But 
I guess yeah, it's fun. It seems fun. I, and I, it is, I, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I, <laughs> God, I, I feel like I'm late to the party once again. It's like high school all over again. Like, whoa, what are all the cool kids talking about? Oh, Formula One. I like Formula One. Like the famous, uh, the famous Silver City, Tyler. Oh, I, oh yes, you like that tweet. Famous didn't you? Silver City. You Formula like One tweet. tweets out yesterday your first glimpse of F one in the Silver City. <laughs> really? We spend this much time on launch, and and I had people responding to me saying, "Well, at least they didn't call it Sin City." No, they're not making up a new name. They used the wrong one. It's <laughs> Silver City. <laughs> we are the Silver City. Just adopt it. That's what we are now, Adam. You yes. Can't change it. Not the Silver. No, we're not the. You, you can't just be the Silver City in the Silver State. That's boring. What do you think? Here was an interesting story from ESPN. The Celtics and the 76ers declined to say if their team was fully vaccinated. The Heat and the Bucks, however, did confirm to ESPN they are fully vaccinated. The reason this is important is because one of those teams is likely going to have to play the Toronto Raptors in the first round of the NBA playoffs. As of January 15th, players must be vaccinated to enter Canada. So if a player for one of the team, whoever plays the Raptors, is unvaccinated, they would have to miss the road games of that playoff series. So do you believe there's a Celtic, there's a 76er that is not vaccinated? Or is this just simply teams saying, yeah, we just don't want to answer your question today? It's hard to know because are they just playing the same game they play with injuries, even though the NBA is more transparent than just about any other league when it comes to injuries? Um all I know is this, Tyler. Whether the Celtics and 76ers are vaccinated or not, I'm pulling so hard for a Nets-Raptors series. I, I need to see Brooklyn and Toronto playing. I need all of the Kyrie stands who have been saying, oh, he's vindicated. He finally gets to play. No, he screwed his team for the bulk of the season, led to James Harden getting traded, and still isn't vaccinated for the good of society here. So I really want him to not be able to play in Toronto. So we would need a second round matchup, right? Brooklyn is yes. going to be in the play-ins. They'd have to not only win the play-in game or games, then knock off the one or the two seed because Toronto's the six. So yeah, we would need, it'd have to happen in the second and maybe it didn't, they might even not be able to do it until the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's an, un, it's an unlikely dream you have there, Adam. Not uncommon though. They're all unlikely. not uncommon. Do you, by the way, do you think the Nets could win a first round series? Like if they get it, be Miami, it's some kind of, Miami, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly are all right there. Like, could they could they beat any of those teams in the first round? I think, especially against Philly, I, I think Durant and Kyrie would go so hard into fu mode that <laughs> they would beat that team. Boston, it's going to be a matter of whether Robert Williams gets back. I think uh, he's such a key piece to what they do at both ends of the floor. But they're playing really well right now. Uh, Miami, Milwaukee, I think both of those are are going to be on the tougher side for this Brooklyn team without KD and Kyrie at absolute full steam. Yeah, great question. Yeah, again, great question. Lamar Jackson says there is a false narrative about him leaving. He tweeted yesterday, I love my Ravens. I don't know who the hell putting that false narrative out there. I'm having thoughts about leaving. Stop trying to read my mind. Uh, yesterday, or two days ago, the Ravens owner said that basically said they haven't gotten anywhere with contract extension talks with uh, Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson hasn't really talked back to them and they don't want to just beat him down every day saying, hey, Lamar, you want to sign the contract extension or not? Um, he's got one year left on his rookie deal, so that's why contract extensions are, are being talked about here. 
the Ravens are going to end up signing him, right? Like we're just having some weird hiccup. Like he's going to end up signing an extension with the Ravens, right? Yeah, he's going okay. to. And and if the Ravens let him go, they're insane. Uh, Lamar Jackson continues to be one of the most unique weapons, if not the most unique weapon in the NFL. I don't care how accurate the deep passing has been until you give him a consistent offense in terms of offensive line and receivers and running backs because of how important running backs are to that offense for an entire season. But I thought Bashadi's comments understand who Lamar Jackson is. That's why I love it. I think I think Steve Bashadi kind of understands it. He says uh, he added that Lamar Jackson, quote, is a unique cat. And what are you going to do with a guy who wants to be unique? You don't browbeat him into being a conformist. We're taking him as we take him. We appreciate him. All I know is that his teammates freaking love him and the front office loves him. It's like, you just keep doing you, Lamar, and we'll make it work somehow. That's what I want to hear. That's a guy who understands that both sides want to get this done. And Lamar Jackson is different on the field and off the field. So treat him as such. Is unique cat a compliment? Oh, yeah, absolutely okay. it is. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, I personally, if someone called me a unique cat, I, I would take it as a compliment, even though I think cats are hellspawn. <laughs> Coming up next, we jump into the Raiders and what we should expect from their underperforming first-round picks. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grainy and Bischoff. Featuring Adam Candy. NFL meetings this week gave us lots of quotes. 49ers talking about Jimmy Garoppolo and why they haven't traded him yet, why he's still on the roster. Uh, but we've gotten some from the Raiders as well. And something we haven't really gotten into on this show this week is something Josh McDaniel said about his offensive line. Uh, specifically Alex Leatherwood. He said, quote, we know he was drafted. We know what he was drafted for, and we're going to give him an opportunity to do such. But ultimately, what we want to do at the end of the day is we're going to put the best five guys out there. Josh McDaniels has also said this week that they are going to get a lot of guys, a lot of reps at right tackle and right guard during the preseason, implying that there's some form of competition and they don't know exactly who's going to be playing in which position. Uh, Alex Leatherwood, drafted in the first round by the John Gruden, Mike Mayock era, started at right tackle, lasted four games. Pro Football Focus had him, I believe, as the worst graded tackle through four weeks. They moved him to guard. I believe he finished 80th of 83 in guys that got graded by PFF for guard play last year does Alex Leatherwood start for the Raiders offensive line this season ultimately I think Alex Leatherwood starts but I don't think it's because the Raiders want him to uh, they've made clear that this is a competition at best but I don't know who else it's going to be Tyler uh, they don't have a draft pick till the third round and unless somehow they end up finding a guy who is you know a late cap casualty who comes down and maybe they can find a veteran to plug in there, then I don't know who's going to replace the offensive lineman who by pro football focus, if you look at the lineman who played at least half of the maximum amount of snaps last year. So basically at least half your team snaps, right? Alex Leatherwood rated number 146 out of 147. 
And I assume a fruit basket went out to Jalen Mayfield in Atlanta to thank him for <laughs> giving some cushion down there on the landing. He, he had a 29 grade. Now, if you're looking for positives, and maybe this is what Josh McDaniels can point to, uh, in Alex Leatherwood's final four games of the season at right guard, he did post 60 or better PFF scores in, in three of those games. So, you know, you can look at that and take something out of it. The problem is, if you go back to the Kansas City game the week before, I I, I don't know how, how else to say this. I've literally never seen a zero pass block grade. <laughs> and he had a zero pass block grade uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. So one of the interesting parts about the Raiders offseason, they've made a lot of big moves and they go in the next year where some of the important positions, the high value positions, they have a good wide receiver, a pass catching group. They have good edge rushers. Those are two important positions. But because of that, it appears as though they're not going to have a substantial or significant fix to an offensive line that was not good last season. And Alex Otherwood was part of that. I think an interesting part here, and and Josh McDaniel sort of mentioned it by saying we know what he was drafted to do, even though it was by a different GM, different head coach. They know what he was drafted to do. Alex Leatherwood's getting another shot because he was a first-round pick. Like, if Alex Leatherwood had been a third- or fourth-round pick that started all those games last year for whatever reason, he might not even be on the team this year. But it certainly sounds like they are giving him another chance to be a starter or at least compete for that simply because he's a first-round pick. But and- Tyler, that- that's crazy. That's crazy because he wasn't a first-round pick for anybody except Mike Mayock and John Gruden. A guy who was mocked in the 40s, it was drafted at 17, shouldn't be looked at that way. That's what they're doing. They got a first-round pick. And again, because of Devontae Adams, because of Chandler Jones, like because the Raiders decided this offseason to spend their capital, draft and salary cap-wise, because they decided to spend that at other positions – they they can't really fix the offensive line. And like you said, when you don't pick until the third round, you can't really draft a guy in the third round and expect him to start. You can maybe draft a guy and he wins the job, right? But you, you can't really plan on that. So I think it comes down to like they're, they're hoping or best case scenario for this team is that Leatherwood has a second year jump, which does happen for offensive linemen. I mean, we saw it with Colton Miller. He was not good in his first season either. So th- there is some hope there is some reason you can convince yourself that Alex Leatherwood will be a competent offensive lineman next year in the NFL but it's also not really the prettiest picture because at listen as this offense stands right now they've gotten better simply by adding Devontae Adams but I don't I, I wonder how much of that's going to be nullified simply because the offensive line as it stands is not good and is going to be an issue for this team in the future I wonder if there's some sort of correlation to be made to what happened in Green Bay with Devontae Adams, though, because what we saw with Matt LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett coming in was that they convinced Aaron Rodgers to get rid of the ball faster, and that seemed to sort of revitalize Rodgers. Obviously, Devontae Adams had some great seasons in that, and Devontae Adams is a guy who's going to work the bulk of his routes within 10, 20 yards of the line of scrimmage, right? He's not necessarily just going to run straight down the field, so... Maybe there is something you can copy there. Maybe there's a way to get the ball out of the Derek Carr's hands very fast. And you know why he would need to? Because Alex Leatherwood allowed the most pressures of any <laughs> offensive lineman in football last year. And if you think we're picking on Alex Leatherwood, number seven on that list was Brandon Parker at 53. Number 23 on that list was John Simpson at 37. And even Colton Miller was number 35 with 34 uh, pressures allowed. So, you know, 
they're going to have to do something with this offensive line or they're going to have to do something with Derek Carr moving the ball quickly. I, and I think that's that's a curious part because I, I do believe there's a, at least to some extent, your quarterback and your offensive scheme, your, your coaching effectively, you can work around an offensive line that's not good. Now, if you have just a awful, the worst offensive line in football, you, you might be helpless. But if you have like, whatever, the 23rd best offensive line, I believe you can work around that for 75, 80% of the time. There's obviously still going to be plays where you need time to put the ball down the field, and that can be an issue. Derek Carr gets sacked, fumbles, whatever happens. But I do believe there is an element of, okay, between Renfro, Waller, and Adams, they've got the guys that can run the route short, that can get open within uh, a couple of seconds or not even a couple of seconds, and the coach and the quarterback can figure out a way around that. But it still ultimately puts a ceiling on the offense where the deep ball is going to be harder to get done. Like that's going to be a bit of an issue, especially because Carr has never been the quarterback that extends plays. He's never been the quarterback that avoids the pressure and extends the play and makes something happen down the field. That's not who he is. But I do think there is a level of, okay, we've got everything else figured out. We'll we'll coach around, we'll quarterback around a porous offensive line. So if you look on Derek Carr's ledger, you're basically going to see that for the last three years, it's been almost exactly the same, like scary, almost exactly the same how long it takes him to get rid of the ball. It's roughly 2.75 seconds. Now, that probably means nothing to you because you have no idea what 2.75 seconds feels like in the pocket against an NFL pass rush. It ranks Derek Carr right flat in the middle of NFL quarterbacks. But what we saw during that same time is that LaFleur was able to get Aaron Rodgers to get rid of the ball very quickly, and he was number seven in the NFL, uh, getting rid of it 2.61. The fastest was Ben Roethlisberger. I probably didn't need to tell you that, though, because if you watched any Steelers game, <laughs> you saw Ben Roethlisberger with the not-in-the-face approach to throwing the football. Uh, 2.27 seconds. Oh, the Ben Roethlisberger stats. Keep them coming. More Ben Roethlisberger stats on the way. But coming up next, Darren Millard joins the show. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Milsey Millard. Good morning, Darren. How are you today? What's happening, guys? Yeah, well, you don't get Ed today. You got Adam Candy instead. Ed's running Ed's... away from you again. He's afraid of you. Yeah, Ed's going to the uh, to the Final Four. He is, apparently. He thinks he is. That's what he tells us. So we'll see. We'll talk to him tomorrow and see if he's actually at the Final Four or not. Um, in our... UNC, eh? That's, uh, that's crazy. That's, is that that's crazy? Absolutely wild. Well, is it, wild? it is because it's one, two great schools from the same area, and then the the opportunity for one rival to end the legendary coach's run. It's pretty intense. Do you Canadians pay attention to the NCAA tournament? Yeah, of course. Okay, okay. I don't know. I don't know if you guys care yeah. about college sports. It's a very American thing. I don't think anybody else really does college sports like we do. So you might not care. No, at no, all. you're right about that. Nobody really does college like you do. <laughs> all right, give us a hot take to start here. Friday night, who starts in goal? Logan Thompson off his first career shutout or a probably not 100% Robin Leonard? I'm glad you asked that because uh, we, we bandied that about yesterday and before the shutout and before uh, the, the impressive uh, win by the Vegas Golden Knights. And I said that uh, Robin Leonard would start on Friday, and I'll stick to that. And uh, the two performances would probably determine who starts on Sunday. 
but but I expect uh, Robin Leonard to start, and if Robin Leonard is good, Robin Leonard will probably start on Sunday, and, and the the ball will return to the veterans uh, uh, side of it, which which I think is is totally uh, appropriate. Like you you've uh, got some incredible mileage uh, out of Logan Thompson, and uh, I've been really impressed uh, with not not just the statistics and the wins. But uh, how much more comfortable he's looked as this thing has gone on. Uh, when you compare uh, the, the, the first start of this run com- uh, to, to where he has been the last couple of games, and that includes uh, a one-goal game against uh, the Nashville Predators and the, the bat- wild comeback against the Chicago Blackhawks, which he left for, and then the shutout last night, uh, everything about his game has, has calmed and, uh, and looks uh, so much more comfortable. He's a different goalie now than he, than he was two and a half weeks ago. Uh, Darren, I'll make a little devil's advocate argument that I don't know is going to be yeah. strong enough to overcome what you just said, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Uh, we know very well that, especially when it comes to playoffs, there are teams that are essentially in a playoff stretch like the Golden Knights are right now it seems in hockey as often as any other sport it is the hot hand who gets to continue on Uh, do the golden knights have the the flexibility with the amount of games remaining and the amount of points needed to find out is robin leonard healthy is he really ready to get back out there or or do you think that they should try to ride logan thompson a bit more hey i I totally agree with what you're you're saying like it it, the hot hand should be uh the one that that goes and and the, the hot hand is the one with when you don't have any uh, flexibility in, in where you are in the standings and trying to lock down a playoff spot. Uh, Pete DeBoer would, uh, would, would agree with you, uh, I'm sure, except uh, you've got 13 games left and, and Robin Leonard isn't going to play all 13. And that's where you have to get uh, uh, sorry, uh, Logan Thompson's not going to play all 13. Robin Leonard's not going to play all 13. So uh, you have you have to get the, some kind of mix into the into the rotation. And now that, that Robin Leonard has been cleared, he's off IR. Uh, he backed up last night, which tells me that, uh, that he would be available to play. Uh, you have to get him in, and he if he's healthy, uh, then then he should be your player. But yeah, the. The hot hand uh, again. We banded up this one yesterday. Like the the, the hot hand. Uh, I think if, if Robin Leonard has any type of stumble tomorrow night, then you go back to Logan Thompson uh, on Sunday. I, I like. I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, if that happens. It kind of trumps the uh, the veteran status. But uh, Robin Leonard's uh, career and uh, salary. Uh, status uh, and and experience uh, trumps uh, and gives him uh, allows him to have an opportunity to to take the net back. So they beat Seattle last night. They play Seattle again. Yeah. Their next four after that are one against Arizona, three against Vancouver. Teams not in the playoff picture. Do you yeah. think they need to win those next five games to have a legitimate playoff run in? Uh, no, because they they've been really good against. Other teams, uh, teams higher than them in the in the standings. Uh, you look at the Nashville game. You look at the Florida game uh, that they've been able to raise their level of the game. In fact, uh, throughout the season, they've been really good. That remember the road trip, the two road trips that stand out this year 
are are the 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 two uh, East Coast trips where they went against the top teams in Carolina, Washington, the two Florida teams, and they only lost one regulation. And then the uh, five gamer uh, that's more recently where they played uh, teams lower than them in the standings and they didn't win a game. Uh, they, this team has an unusual ability to almost play better against teams that are higher than them in the standings. So uh, given uh, given their uh, penchant to be able to rise to the occasion uh, against really good teams, uh, I don't think the next five are imperative uh, or vital. Uh, but I tell you what, uh, I would much rather go uh, five, uh, five wins or, or four and one over the next five and make this thing uh, a lot easier on yourself. But uh, but I, I'd still have confidence in, in this group being able to win games that maybe they not necessarily have the odds on favor of. Darren, uh, I thought it was an interesting post-game interview on TNT with Alec Martinez last night in which the crew asked him, you know, what was said after the first period when the Golden Knights Seattle uh, were scoreless. And he said, yeah, you know, Pete kind of came in and gave it to us a little bit uh, and came out and they, they played a better second and third period. And we heard Alec Martinez also talk about piping up in the locker room before the third period of the Chicago game. I know yeah. it would be unusual, but take me inside the locker room. Do you think Pete DeBoer should start breaking things about 30 minutes before puck drop? <laughs> well, the the uh, the ability for Pete to to read the room is uh, one of those great skills of his, the intangible skills. But I get I get what you're saying. Look, this, this team and and their starts have uh, have uh, off and on been uh, they haven't been as bad as what the score indicated uh, in, in the sense of being uh, trailing and allowing the first goal recently. The, the two Winnipeg games when they were up there, they, they dominated those first periods and just weren't able to, to score. Last night was a different story. The, the first eight minutes, uh, they were being absolutely penned in their own zone, and the goaltender came out large. And then after that, I thought they they found their footing. One thing about uh, the first period, like they had a couple of power plays in the first period last night. I'm not a big fan of those. It knocks your rotation out, and uh, you're never going to you're never going to decline you're never going to decline it. But uh, <laughs> but it doesn't allow your team to get any type of flow uh, out of a game, and uh, uh, that's just one thing that I'll, I'll I noticed about last night's game was uh, just uh, being able to to settle in and get things going in the second and third period. They did and. And uh, maybe maybe they they pack a garbage can that uh, they take on the road with them that uh, the peak can kick or chuck or uh, or uh, hammer a stick against. You've been so beaten down by the Golden Knights' poor power play. You're now saying that they get thrown off when they get one extra player than the other team. No, that's that's every team in in the first period. They if you get a couple early on, uh, it ends up that your third and your fourth liners sit there for one shift in the first twelve minutes of a game. And it, it, it disrupts all flow. And, and again, Tyler, I, I said I wouldn't decline them, but it does have an impact on, on the flow of, uh, of your team and trying to get into, into any type of uh, rotation. I mean, I think it'd be a good thing you didn't have to play your third and fourth line as much because you can play the good players more. Yes, but you do, you're not established in in, in the game. It's, it's it's a weird thing. I'm not telling you that uh, that that it goes uh, logically, but it's one of those goofy little parts about uh, about playing the game where you just got to get the, get into the flow and get comfortable uh, during during a hockey game. It's so like if you're playing Stratomatic or you're. 
whatever type of uh, uh, statistical-based game, then, yeah, you, you want those power plays. But there's, uh, there's also a real um, uh, effect of, of sitting the, you, half your team sitting at the bench and, and three-quarters of your, your defensive pairing sitting on the bench for the first ten minutes. Darren, I actually am very pleased that you still kept this appointment this morning and showed up to talk to us. I thought after Darren Pang was gassing you up on the broadcast last night that you might have had a profile that was too big for a little old morning show uh, uh, here in Las Vegas. Uh, Panger was singing your praises. Did you hear him? Yeah, he's a, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, we, we go back a long ways. We covered uh, Olympic Games uh, together, and we worked together uh, in Canada, and uh, and. Yeah, he's a he's a good friend. We talk all the time, and uh, we usually, uh, when uh, I'm playing him, he'll give me uh, just the uh, the lay of the land, no secrets, but lay of the land on his team. And and uh, with Logan Thompson uh, starting last night, uh, he reached out and just uh, wanted a couple of things, and so I gave him uh, stuff that I would have normally said on the and have said on the, on the radio station. So uh, it's. Uh, He's a, he's a good friend. He's a good colleague. So uh, I was. Uh, you find out how many people are watching those games. I, Adam, I do I do television four games a week here, and 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 Pang mentioned my name once, and all of a sudden that trumps everything else I do. <laughs> uh, here's an important question for you. Yeah. Who spells Darren right? You or Darren Pang? Why wow, he's and Darren Elliott and Darren Drager like and every all, other Darren in the world. Yeah, they're all uh, like just run of the mill, two R's, a little boring. Now, one R, you throw that in there, and Darren Poopa and I uh, are, are two of the more uh, high profile. I mean, after Darren Pang mentioned my name last night, I'll say high profiled. Uh, with one R, <laughs> you, you stand out a little bit, uh, and uh, and you're just unique. Like, who who wants to be run of the mill? Like Tyler. You, you spell your name uh, uniquely and uh, with an I instead of a Y and uh, and two L's. I, I think that's great that you're you're unique and you're, you're different. Uh, who wants to be just T Y L E R? Like nobody would want that and just be be run of the mill, right? It's a great point. It's a really great yeah. point. How do you spell your name, Tyler? You do spell it differently, right? No, not at all. Uh, him. Oh, oh, Jared. Sorry, sorry. I, that, that's Jared. my bad. I guess you are just run of the mill. I am run of the mill. Uh, Jared's the one who misspells Jared. He does have a unique uh, spelling of Jared. Yeah, but uh, that took oh, me a you... long time to figure out. Yeah, well, actually. it's not, it's ruined all other Jareds for me because I look at J A R E D and think it's wrong now. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm fairly close to being uh, on the same page as you. That's uh, that's frightening for me, actually. That just means you've spent too much Absolutely. time with Jared. Uh, Adam, what's your uh, what's your weekend like uh, with Final Four? <laughs> well, uh, it's it's wide open, buddy. If you if you want to hang out because you don't want to yeah. be around these run of the mill people, you got a guy who takes the Y right off candy, throws it in yeah. the trash, and sticks two very it. exciting E's on the end of it. Very exciting. Giddy up, see, that's what I'm talking about right there. You and I. <laughs> yep. We, he's in a pod. We buddy. roll. We he's roll. in a pod. All right, yeah. Darren, get out of here. Your name's misspelled. Don't try to act like it's cool because your parents couldn't spell Darren. Uh, no, they actually couldn't. My bro- my twin brother's name is Derek, and they screwed that thing completely up. So my Darren is is really easy compared to that. Wait, what the, what did they do to Derek? Uh, they went D E R R Y C K. Yeah, 
So they took an R from Darren and gave it to Derek and added exactly. A y. Yeah, and and here's the thing. Here's the best part is when we were when we were really young, like uh, in, in early ages uh, of great. Uh, he changed it to D E R E K because he was uh, having trouble spelling his name as fast as I did. So it became a competition between the two of us. Yeah, little right. insight into the family right there. Get out of here, Darren Millard. We got uh, some weird Later. family dynamics going on there. He's okay. Darren Millard here I'm on the VGK Insider Show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas and on the pre, post, and intermission show for Golden Knights games on AT&T Sportsnet. Uh, coming up, wait, Jared, I meant to ask you this, but not on the air. Do we have a giveaway we need to do right now? Oh, right now? Uh, I don't know. But Okay. Uh, More on-air planning. High-quality radio. We think diversity in our ownership group is important. Uh, I think the ownership made that clear in their statement yesterday. So we're encouraging any bidder to, to make sure they have a diverse group. Ultimately, it's their decision, but they know how we feel. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler featuring Adam Candy. Some UNLV basketball news this morning. As Carlin Hartman, one of the assistant coaches, is taking a job as an assistant coach with the Florida Gators. Um, first off, the important part for UNLV, he was apparently the lead recruiter on their incoming recruit, Kyron Lindsay. Uh, so potentially Kyron Lindsay, who is signed to UNLV. UNLV would have to let him out of his letter of intent, but they would presumably do that if he wanted to leave. Maybe there's a chance Kyron Lindsay doesn't come to UNLV, which would be a blow. But... I need a, I have a question for you, Adam. I need to know, obviously on a lesser scale, does this qualify in the same realm of Kevin, or excuse me, of uh, TJ Otzelberger taking his dream job at Iowa State and Chris Beard taking his dream job at Texas Tech at UNLV after a short period of time? Carlin Hartman tweeted this morning, with word getting out, let me just say to all the Run and Rebel fans, supporters, and friends, thank you. These moves are never planned out, and it took a special offer from a very good friend for us to leave after only a year. Well, I mean, he used special and very good, so obviously <laughs> he meant it. Well, look, college sports has no loyalty. It never had any loyalty among coaches. It's a business. It had forced loyalty among players. And now players don't have any loyalty either. So let's just accept it for what it is. You don't need to explain. It's fine. I understand why Carlin Hartman wants to explain it, right? Like, I understand yeah. why he's saying what he's saying. But in the end, he doesn't owe anybody that explanation. No. You and... want to work at UNLV or you want to work in Florida? Right. We all understand, too. Like, presumably, Florida's going to pay him a lot more money, and it's a Power 5 job. It's easier to do your job at Florida than it is to do it at UNLV. I just... I just can't get over the fact. Maybe it's just because of how funny it's been that UNLV has had two coaches leave for power conference jobs after a very short time with no success at UNLV. And it's always been about the dream job. And now it's a special offer and a very good friend. I do want to say two things that I, uh, my two favorite Carlin Hartman moments last year. First off, you'll uh, probably not like this one. When they lost to Wichita State and there was the. Oh, I remember this one questionable call that gave Wichita State free throws and then UNLV also wanted a foul call at the very end because they thought I think it was Josh Baker got tripped uh, before UNLV had a chance to get up a last shot to try to win that game 
Carlin Hartman sprinted from the bench to the corner, the opposite corner of the floor, to yell at the referee because I'm not sure which one he was more upset about, but one of those two calls slash non-calls to yell at the referee. And then if you remember, there was a lot of um, pushing and shoving after the game between Wichita State and UNLV. Never saw a good enough replay to know exactly what happened, but I do know Carlin Hartman was standing in the middle of it. Like he was there in the middle of the pushing and the shoving. Very much loved that. And then the other thing I loved is during the Mountain West tournament game when they played Wyoming, crowd was whatever, 70% Wyoming fans. UNLV finally went on a run in the second half. And like, I think Wyoming calls a timeout and he's like out on the court waving his arms to get the crowd into it more than like I've ever seen any UNLV player do it. He was pumped and I'll miss that. I like excitement and that guy was exciting for better or worse. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call the Wichita State situation worse. Um, I think, quite honestly, I think that was the low moment of the entire season for UNLV with uh, with him going across the court like that. But, you know, I, I, you know I'm biased. You know uh, there aren't a lot of guys who, who, who you have a ref segment with uh, on the show. So you know how I feel about that. But in the end, look, I, I've said it before, I think this season overall can be viewed as a net positive for Kevin Kruger. Um, I don't know that it means that year two is going to be better, but I do think you can look at year one and say that for what year one was expected to be, getting even the jump you got out of Bryce Hamilton, showing that you can take Bryce Hamilton from what he was two years ago to what he was last year, I think shows that this coaching staff can help develop the kind of player who they need to get to UNLV to really win regularly. Yeah, I think there's reasons to be encouraged about what you saw from Kevin Kruger last year. And the Bryce Hamilton one might end up being the the biggest sign that he had his most efficient season under Kevin Kruger. But like you mentioned, the, the problem is, is, is any of that going to translate to year two because Bryce Hamilton is gone? I mean, as of now, Donovan Williams, we think, is going to come back. But as of now, their leading returning scorer is Jordan McKay, who averaged six points a game last year. So... Everything that happened in year one, there's not none of that's truly going to carry over from a roster standpoint because the number one guy is gone and you've got to find a way to replace him. But optimistically, they got Bryce Hamilton better. They can do that with other players and have a good team 